I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Up next, The Truth with Lisa Booth, part of the Gingrich 360 Network. We're in the fight of our lives for freedom and liberty in America. Our government's response has been illuminating to COVID. Democrats have shown themselves to be authoritarians who are willing to abuse their power to try to control you, to try to control me. They have censored, very similar to what we see in communist countries like China, because what China understands is if you control the flow of information, if you control what people read, see, and hear, you control the population. And they've tried to silence anyone who dares to ask questions in America. People like me. They've smeared us as anti-vaxxers just because we have questions about a vaccine that was produced in record time. Think about that. These are people who have denied Americans early treatment. Safe things like ivermectin, even monoclonal antibodies. The FDA recently pulled emergency youth authorization for some monoclonal antibodies in the country. Their policies have caused mass devastation, which they don't seem to care about. People have lost their jobs. They've lost their livelihoods. And in and, and a lot of instances, they've lost their lives through overdoses, delayed care, and suicide. This man who I'm going to have on the show this week, he has been a fighter this entire time, a fighter for truth and liberty in America. He has stood up to the group think. He has stood up to the smear merchants on the left. And what he's done is he's advocated for early treatment. He's been doing it from the beginning. He's highlighted vaccine injuries, which, you know, you know, no one wants to talk about that. And he's given a voice to world-renowned doctors and medical experts who dare question the group think. This man is Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, and he joins me this week on The Truth with Lisa Booth. I promise you guys, you don't want to miss this. Stay tuned. <laughs> So 
So the last time I had this guest on, he was trying to decide if he was going to run for re-election. Fortunately, he is, and we are all lucky for it. Senator Ron Johnson, thank you so much for, for taking time for the show. Well, Lisa, I really appreciate the opportunity. You know, so, sir, as I mentioned, you know, last time you were on, you were sort of trying to figure out, you know, what does the future look like? Am I going to run for re-election? You have decided to, which we are all thankful for and grateful for. You know, what, what went into that decision? Well, many factors. Uh, I think most people recognize I, I really would have preferred, you know, ser- serving out the second term and, and going home. But when you take a look at the current landscape, you know, when I ran in 2016 and I told people I intended to serve a second term and go home, America didn't feel like this. You know, we weren't anywhere near this divided. And it really does seem like this nation's coming apart. And, you know, I, I realize I'm in a position to help improve things. I've never walked away from problems in the past. And in the end, when you, when you saw the Democrats, for example, just uh, you know, the week before we went on recess, pushing to change the Senate, um, I don't think people realize how significant that was, what they were attempting to do. The, the Senate was uniquely designed by our founders to require if you're going to make big changes, you know, if you're going to try and transform this nation, you need the public behind you. You need it to be done on a bipartisan basis, not a partisan basis. And, of course, what uh, Democrats tried to do with, with not even a real majority. I mean, they, they, they got 50. We have 50. Did they break the tie with uh, the vice president? They were trying to fundamentally transform the Senate so that they could fundamentally transform this nation. They have no mandate to do this. And so that, that was also part of it is even though 32 Democrats five years ago, when Republicans were in total control, they were concerned about us destroying the filibuster so we could ram through our partisan bills. Okay. Uh, they were a letter imploring us not to do that. Now we, we weren't going to do that. I don't think one Republican Senator back then was, favoring getting rid of the filibuster. I, I know President Trump tried to put pressure on us, but we understood the vital role the Senate plays at kind of slowing things down, okay? Uh, 27 of those same Democratic senators are still in the, in the Senate. One is the vice president. And they, compl- I mean, talk about grotesque hypocrisy. And now, now all of a sudden, them, all of them, except probably Joe Manchin, I don't think Cinema signed that. I think Joe Manchin probably did. So the rest of them, all were happy to eliminate the filibuster when it was advantageous for them, for, for their short-term power. But, of course, they wanted to do it to change, to nationalize our election law, hoping that they could turn America into a one-party state. That, that was their goal. That's why this was so important to them. And, again, I just say God bless uh, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema for holding strong. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's vile the way Democrats are treating members of their own party. Well, and what's scary about it, sir, is you'd mentioned like feeling like this country is coming apart and I share that sentiment. And so you've got Democrats, as you pointed out, trying to nationalize elections to make it to basically just keep Democrats in power in perpetuity at the same time where we are seeing just like egregious abuse from the government in denying people liberty, denying people. You can't even go into a restaurant in New York City if you're unvaccinated. So these two things are aligning at the exact same time, and it, it, it paints a really scary picture of the kind of vision that Democrats have for America. Now, I'm hoping Americans recognize that uh, we're, we're all frogs in a pot of water, and it's nearing boiling right now. Uh, now, fortunately, I think more and more Americans are realizing that water is almost coming up to a boil, and they're, they're starting to hop out of the pot. 
Um, but our, our freedoms are being relentlessly taken away from us. That's what Democrat governance does. I mean, when you grow the federal government, you naturally start taking away freedoms. I mean, it's, it's a direct proportion. The more government grows, the more demands of your hard-earned labors, you know, the higher taxes are. You know, t- taxes are absolutely direct correlation with freedom. But when, when the government can take your money, they take your freedom. And so hopefully Americans are, are recognizing how during the pandemic, the, the, one, of the, one of the results, in, in addition to the tragedy of all the deaths, um, has been a loss of, for example, free speech, a, a loss of many other freedoms. And, but, but again, just like that you know, frog in, in, the, in the pot of water, uh, you know, we, we, we were concerned about COVID so early on, we knew no, nothing about it. It was very scary. But as we learned, uh, we should have adapted. But people in power utilize the pandemic to entrench their power. I, I guess they enjoyed controlling people's lives and they don't want to let go of it. So they created the state of fear to maintain that control over our lives. And, and I think a lot of people just didn't really recognize it. They were you know, looking for any port in a storm. They were afraid of COVID and, and they would listen to the siren song of, for example, the Fauci's of the world saying, I hear I've got the miracle vaccine. It'll, it'll, it'll relieve us of all this fear. Uh, you can all rest easy. Well, that didn't happen, did it? Well, and I think, too, I mean, Americans, I don't know if the differences between the two parties have ever been clearer. I mean, because you can just look at the states, right? You can look at, for instance, everyone's looking at the same data during COVID, right? All the governors are seeing the same thing. They're, they're all looking at the same data. And yet you had states like Florida with Governor Ron DeSantis reopen, open for business, not masking kids, allowing kids to go back to school, you know, so not not abusing children like we're seeing in states like New York. And then you have New York. And what did New York do to continue to crush businesses, continue to control people's lives, continue to abuse emergency orders? And so I don't know if there's ever been a time, at least in my lifetime, where the difference between the two parties has just been so stark and so on display. You know, what's interesting about that, too, is, you know, the Fauci's of the world claim, you know, Fauci claims he's science. And the Democrats, well, we're following science. These other heretics are spreading misinformation. I think probably the most egregious, the most unforgivable piece of information that, that uh, the Democrats, the, I call them the COVID gods, the Fauci's of the world, the, the legacy media, the, the big tech giants that suppressed all this information. But the biggest piece of information that they refuse to acknowledge is the age stratification of the risk from, of, of severe consequences from COVID, you know, plus comorbidities. But the CDC's own data in terms of infection fatality rates shows that if you are under 17, 20 out of a million of you of, of the population would die from COVID, 20 out of a million. Uh, if you're over, I think, 65 is how they break it down, 90,000 out of a million would die from COVID. So, you know, to me, that's pretty obvious that there's a real difference between the ages. And so our approach should have changed. Remember how Sweden was vilified? Does not caring enough? Uh, all their school children went to school. They didn't wear masks. 1.8 million school children, not one of them died from COVID. The, the teachers who were deemed essential, they, they had to work. They, they actually experienced a lower infectivity rate than the rest of Swedish society. The children just weren't a, a, a vector for spreading this disease. We knew that very early on. We knew this age stratification very early on from reports out of Italy, 
and the Princess Cruise. Yet we didn't factor that in. It was a one-size-fits-all, destructive response to COVID. And, and I guess my final, final point here is you can't take a look at 889,000 American deaths, the human toll, the economic devastation, the harm to our children, the, the, the loss of a year at least of learning, the, the social implications of having to wear masks. The, you, know, you can't look at our response and call it successful. You have to say it was a miserable failure. Well, and it's monstrous what's happening to children. I mean, I I, I saw a, a picture the other day on Twitter of Governor Hochul in New York, and she's not wearing a mask, and children in front of her are wearing a mask. And it's uh, to your point, you know, children are at extremely little risk from COVID, right? Like the flu is a bigger risk to them than COVID. Yet in places like LA, they're you know in California, they're trying to dictate where kids have to be vaccinated from uh, COVID to be able to go to schools. They're still being forced to wear masks in parts of the country. It's we've seen. I think it's uh, among girls a fifty-one percent increase in attempted suicide rates in twenty twenty. I mean, like what we are doing to children. I, I don't know how to describe it any other way besides saying it's abuse. I would call it monstrous. Um, it's, it's indefensible. Uh, it's, again, denying reality. It's denying the science. It's forcing a one-size-fits-all response to COVID on everybody. And you have to ask, there's so much that doesn't make sense about a response to COVID. Almost all of it makes no sense. You have to ask your, your, yourself, why? Why is this? You know, why, why haven't we robustly explored and recommended early treatment. I mean, every other disease that we, that we try and deal with, it's always about early detection, allows for early treatment, produce a better result. I mean, take a look at cancer. You, know, you want to detect cancer early so you can cure it. You, know, you, you don't want to get a, a cancer diagnosis when you're already stage four. And yet that, that in effect, is NIH guideline to deal with COVID. You know, we spent tens of billions of dollars on testing. And, and, you know, once once the horse was out of the barn, once contact tracing was useless, why? Because our guideline says if you test positive for COVID, do nothing. Go home, isolate yourself, be afraid. Uh, we added monoclonal antibodies, which, you know, the variants are, are making less effective. Try and get monoclonal antibodies. I know some people have been saved by them. You know, recommend their use where, where you can find them. Um, but that's really about that and Tylenol. And, and then... Certainly what we found in our panel on Monday, uh, hospital care hasn't advanced in two years. Um, it's, no, this has been a travesty. What, what has happened to our medical establishment, medical journals, the corruption of our healthcare agencies, I would say the, the capture by them, by Big Pharma. Uh, it's becoming glaringly obvious. COVID, the pandemic has exposed so much corruption so many problems in a healthcare system that, quite honestly, the people in charge are ignoring. Well, and, and you had mentioned you held a roundtable discussion called COVID-19, a second opinion panel or a second opinion. And you had a panel with a, a lot of esteemed medical and, uh, you know, individuals in the science community as well. Uh, I think it has over, you know, almost 800,000 views already. Uh, you, everyone can go find it on Rumble. I mean, you've really been out there in pushing for things like early treatment. And I can't for the life of me understand why we would not be pushing early treatment. Because the thing is, even if you look at ivermectin, like 
it's safe, right? Like as long as you're taking like, you know, dosages that are meant for your body weight and, you know, you as an individual, it's safe. And so it's like, why, why, why do they care? If, if people want to try ivermectin and they're not going to have a negative adverse reaction, why not let them? I just, I don't, I can't for the life of me. It, it is, to your point, it really raises much deeper questions about what's actually going on here. Because I cannot think of why we would be denying people potentially life-saving care, but yet it's forcing everyone, oh, just go get the vaccine. It's, it just, it, it really does raise the question. It really does make it seem like it, it's all about the money, right? Like it, it's all about Pfizer. It's all about Moderna and it's all about lining their pockets. Yeah. There may be more to it as well, but let, let me just give your listeners the, the data uh, that, that I get censored for when I, when I put my little chart together, uh, 26 years worth of experience for ivermectin on, on the phase, the, the FDA adverse events uh, system for you know, drugs. On average, 15 deaths reported in association with ivermectin, 15. Hydroxychloroquine, about 69. The seasonal flu vaccine, on average, about 77 deaths per year. We have already exceeded 22,000 deaths for the COVID vaccine. And I realize VAERS does not prove causation, but 30% of those deaths occurred on day zero, one, or two following vaccination. It certainly should raise concerns. And, you know, I'm concerned about it. I raised this issue with Francis Collins when I think deaths were around 3,000 back in uh, you know, February, March of 2021. And you know what his response was to me? But, Sandra, we've, we've linked about six deaths. You know, th- these were young women of childbearing age you know, with clotting, the Johnson Johnson vaccine. We've linked six deaths. But otherwise, you know, Sandra, people die. Yeah, I, I got that, Dr. Collins, but, uh, you know, I, I'm a little concerned about this, but they, they've been collectively unconcerned because they've got the single-minded approach, vaccine, vaccine, vaccine. So did they deny early treatment because it is true that it's hard to get an emergency use authorization for an experimental vaccine when you have effective therapies? Is that what this is about? But one, one of the charts that uh, Dr. Corey's group uh, presented shows uh, you know, all the studies by all these drugs that have been looked at. And there's, there's literally a cornucopia of drugs, uh, cheap, generic, repurposed drugs that, that show effective, efficacy. Uh, but, but they also put the, the, the expensive ones that are recommended. And, and they circled the only drugs that the health agencies are recommending are the expensive patented drugs. And we started about 500 bucks a pop going up to our investors over 3000. Um, is, is that what's going on here? It's, it's kind of hard to come up with another explanation, uh, but but it to me it shows corruption. It shows something that's really wrong. It shows something that has to be fixed. But as long as the people in charge um, can deny the reality and get away with it, that that's part of the problem here, Lisa. Uh, the people that have been what I consider wrong will never admit they're wrong. They can't afford to be proven wrong. The body count is so high, and they have the power because we're talking about federal health care agencies. We're talking about the legacy medium media. We're talking about the big tech giants, the social media. These are all people that have suppressed and censored early treatment. If it's proven that these drugs work and save lives, the consequences for those individuals will be severe. So they have the power. They, 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 they can't be proven wrong. They have the power to make it very difficult to prove them wrong. So they will continue to censor people like me. They'll continue to vilify and ridicule people like me and these eminently qualified doctors who have paid such a huge price professionally, reputationally. One of the doctors, Dr. Paul Merrick, 
he heads the the FLCCC group that Dr. Corey is associated with. You know, Emily qualified. He told the story of, of how he, his right to treat patients with off-label prescription, uh, off-label uh, drugs. You know, doctors have that right. Um, it was taken away from him, and he from him, and he describes how he still had seven COVID patients that now he couldn't treat, and all he could do is sit by and watch those seven patients die. Could, could intervene, could, couldn't use things that he believed worked, that they were probably begging him to use. As I've heard countless times, families begging hospitals, just try it. Look, come on, come on. 22,000 deaths with vaccines, you recommend those, but ivermectin 15, you won't at least try it? You're telling me my loved ones, there's no hope, they're going to die? Admit your last rites, and you won't let me use ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or vitamin C or vitamin D, you won't let me, why not? Why not? It's outrageous. And I really hope your listeners will, will listen to the whole five-hour event. We also have a 38-minute edited condensed version. But you'll get a sense of the frustration of these doctors who have had the courage and compassion to treat patients. They know it works. So they, they sit back and they, they know that hundreds of thousands of people had needlessly died. And they, for all their efforts, it's still happening. It's still occurring. So you'll see the frustration come out, but you'll also see how eminently qualified they are, how unbelievably reasonable they are. And for me, you know, I've always been told serious illness, get a second, maybe even a third opinion. I'm going to go and get a second opinion, not from somebody in an ivory tower who doesn't treat patients, that don't have the courage to expose themselves to disease. I'm going to go to those doctors, those nurses that have the courage and compassion to actually treat illness. And that's who I put on that panel on Monday. And yeah, Americans are interested in this because you know, we have, what I checked this morning, almost a million people have viewed the five-hour video. Almost a million people in a couple days. You know, eight, eight million people viewed Dr. Corey's testimony back in December of 2020 on ivermectin early treatment. Eight million people before YouTube pulled it, censored it. They weren't allowed. You're not allowed to see that. Um, this, this, is, this is outrageous. This is a travesty, what's happened. And one thing that really disturbs me, and everyone should go watch this. I saw it on Rumble, but I think I saw the shorter version was on YouTube as well. But Rumble's probably your safest bet because, you know, who knows what YouTube's going to do. But the one thing that has really disturbed me about the past couple of years is the silencing of anyone who has questions, right? To, to your point, you're labeled misinformation. You're smeared with labels like anti-vax or all these different things. And it's it's really no different than what communists and places like China do, because what China understands is if you control what people read, see and hear, you control the population, right? If you control the narrative, you control the population. And that's what we've seen from our leaders on the left here in America, as well as the media, as well as big tech of shutting down anyone who asks questions because they don't want an informed public. They want a compliant public. And so what they do is, you know, if you if you questioned about the origins of the coronavirus, which you, you basically have to be an idiot to not think it came from the lab. But, uh, you know, so if, if you raise that question, you were smeared. If you if you have questions about a vaccine that is the fastest vaccine ever created, you're labeled as an anti-vaxxer. Or if you don't want to get a vaccine that you do not need, you're late. But point being is that 
the effort to try to control the narrative is scary to me, what we have seen over the past two years. Well, it should concern every American. You know, just after the tragic death that didn't have to occur, I think the greatest casualty of the pandemic is freedom of speech. And, and you know, and I think your listeners realize that the, the reason our founders put freedom of speech as the first guaranteed right is every other freedom flows from that. If you can control speech, you can control people. You can take away their freedom. And so that has been a real casualty of the pandemic. And, and Americans need to be concerned. We need to fight back. I, you know, I first ran for United States Senate you know, basically to, to fight for one thing, freedom. And, and I've said this, it's been a rallying cry for 11 years and still is. You know, this is a fight for freedom. It's, it's not somebody else's fight. It's our fight, and it's a fight we, we must win. We have to win. People have to understand the stakes. We are at a hinge point in history. People need to understand, as Mark Levin writes in his book, we need to awaken to the urgency of this moment. We are in the fight of our lifetime. I, I really believe this with every fi fiber of my body. It's why I've been so vocal throughout COVID. It's why I put myself out there by saying I wasn't going to get the vaccine, even though I knew I would take bullets doing it. But we are in the fight of our lifetime for freedom and liberty, which is why it's so important to have senators like you standing up and, you know, unafraid about the smearing that takes place, the, you know, being called names, the attacks, because we do have to get this information out there. We should. It, it's America. We're allowed to have questions, and I'm sorry, we are allowed to have questions about a vaccine that is the fastest ever created. I'm sorry, like, yeah, if something is developed that quickly, there might be potential like issues with it, right? And if they previously told us you're not going to get COVID, you're not going to spread COVID if you get it, that didn't turn out to be true. So we're allowed to have questions about it. It is healthy to raise questions and ask questions about it. mRNA is newly available to the public. That's what's on the CDC's website and talking about mRNA. We are allowed to have questions about it. It is insane to me that we are in a place in society in America where asking questions is dangerous. You know, insane is the right word. You know, we should all admit there's so much we still don't know about the coronavirus, about COVID, the disease, about COVID, the vaccine. So with that reality, you, you would certainly recommend exercising caution as you proceed, right? Um, certainly when, when you're looking at an experimental vaccine, and, and, and the truth is, and by the way, nobody's challenged me on this statement. Nobody, nobody can tell you about the long-term safety implications of the vaccine. Nobody can. Because we, we don't know the long-term. We haven't let it play out. We unblinded the placebo group. So, so we really don't even have a, a, a good idea based on the initial trials because the placebo group no longer exists. Okay? So we should have exercised caution. We should have based the administration of the vaccine. By the way, I'm the champion of right to try, which allows people the freedom to choose whether they want to take an experimental drug before it's fully FDA approved. I'm, I'm the champion of that bill. So I, I support this, but we should have made it available only based on net medical necessity. And that's where you go to that age stratification. But certainly the elderly, you know, I, I'm, I'm elderly, I'm, I'm over 66, but I had COVID. So I chose not to get the vaccine. My wife hasn't got COVID. She's also chosen not to get the vaccine. That's her choice. But she's doing all the other things. You know, zinc, vitamin C, 
you know, she, she's prepared. She's gargling. You know, I, 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 I was to 48, 72 hours of national ridicule for basically telling the truth. You know, gargling with these, you know, anti, you know, these, these compounds that can kill the virus, that can reduce viral replication before it gets into your lungs is proven effective. It works. Why not try it? What's, what's the worst that can happen? You, you have fresher breath, but we haven't been allowed to uh, explore these things. Um, just, just think you know, how many deaths might have been prevented if we would have actually been telling people, you know, that there, there are nasal sprays, there are gargles that can help prevent further spread. It's, it doesn't cure it. It's not going to cure it, but it can, it can help prevent more serious disease. Why haven't we talked about that? You know, Dr. Fauci took vitamin D himself. Why haven't, why haven't our health agencies promoted vitamin D? Uh, the mo- most people with serious cases of vitamin D or with COVID are vitamin D deficient. So why haven't we talked about that? It hasn't been allowed because there's been one approach. There's been a vaccine. And again, the, the insanity of that uh, certainly gets, gets me scratching my head going, what's, what's going on here? Also, fresh breath is just a public service to your neighbors. <laughs> uh, you know, sir, one thing I've, I've been recently, you know, thinking about is like, so mRNA has obviously been studied. You know, we've been looking at mRNA and, and potentially using it in vaccines. But did Big Pharma use the fog of a war and a time of crisis to get mRNA vaccines to the market on this scale? Yeah, again, I, I, I don't know. I don't have all the answers here. I just have suspicions. And, you know, I, I just know, you know, things that we should have done that we didn't. And again, I, I keep going back to early treatment because I really, the reason I was so in favor of that, so promoting it, and again, totally agnostic in terms of the drugs that can be used. That's up to doctors. Um, but the, the reason was, I, I thought we, I, I knew the vaccine was going to take time to develop. I mean, I, I was a big supporter of Operation Warp Speed. Um, and I'm a big supporter of people having the choice to, to avail themselves of the vaccine. But I thought we might have, if there were effective enough therapies, we could have nipped this pandemic in the bud right off the, you know, before it really devastated so many people. But that wasn't allowed. I mean, the censorship started almost immediately. I was, I was listening to these doctors out in New York, you know, in the, the belly of the beast. I mean, the, the people that had the courage and they, they were posting videos you know, talking about their theory of the case. Now, I'm not saying all those videos were right, but it was spreading information, not misinformation, not information. These were people treating patients. They, they were observing things. This wasn't standard, you know, problems with, with lungs. This was something different. And they were talking about it, but those, those videos were being pulled. Remember a couple of doctors in California, can't remember their names. You know, they were talking about how they were successfully treating patients. That video was pulled. Why? I mean, what we should have done in the midst of a pandemic where there was so much we didn't know, we should have allowed doctors who had the courage to practice medicine, let them use their off-label prescription rights, and then share the information. What's working? What's not working? I've been privileged to be part of these email groups of doctors, global doctors. And I don't chime in very often, but I'm just looking at all the studies they're sharing. I'm I'm listening to them discuss what's happening. I'm I'm watching them reach out to each other. Here's a patient I have. You know, this this is a different situation. What would you recommend in this case? That's what should have been allowed, but it wasn't allowed. I mean, classic example, uh, the the vaccine injured, 
that I gave a forum to in June. And of course, I was just attacked and, you know, front page, above the fold, my picture, the headline so fundamentally dangerous. But that group, they had Facebook groups, 2,000 people, when they presented on the Monday morning. Within days, their group reached 5,000. When people heard, I'm not the only one suffering this way. You know what Facebook did with those groups? They, by the way, were used to counsel people that were suicidal. Some of these adverse events, these inner vibrations, the neurological problems, are so severe people are committing suicide. So these groups are being used to counsel and support those suicidal individuals. So what Facebook did, you know, uh, compassionless Facebook, they dismantled those Facebook groups. And suicide, suicidal individuals lost contact with the people that were providing them emotional support. Thanks, Facebook. And the reason I asked the mRNA question was just because now there's all these articles about, oh, mRNA could solve this, could do this. And it seems to have opened additional revenue streams uh, that they didn't have prior to COVID to be able to get the mRNA vaccines to market and then open up, you know, all these different doors to make additional money. Uh, but to your point, they deserve a voice, right? It, 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 we know that there are adverse reactions with any vaccine. And then you have, again, something that was very rapidly produced. They, we, we, we should be giving them a voice. This is We should be able to have conversations about all of these things. And it's just the desire to control the narrative is so disturbing to me. And then even beyond that, I didn't really understand this as clearly, uh, but I've learned through my conversations with people about just how much control someone like Dr. Fauci and the NIH has on the science community, right? The fact that basically he controls the funding, he controls the grants. And so people are really afraid to sort of take him on and challenge him because of that. And so I, I find that to be disturbing as well. Now, when it comes to the treatment of disease, you know, doctors who have been trained, spent you know, years obtaining their training, they should be at the top of the, the decision-making process. I mean, th- they put their patients' rights first, Okay. Um, our federal health agencies should just operate in the supportive role. You know, FDA should be concerned about drug safety. You know, the CDC should be talking about, you know, they should be gathering data, which, of course, they haven't done, but they should be providing data, you know, looking at safety signals, looking at uh, outbreaks, providing advice. You know, NIH kind of is over much of that. Um, But they're a supportive role. They shouldn't be dictating to doctors, but you're exactly right. You know, Fauci, uh, has gotten himself in that position. He's been there way too long. Uh, I don't know. It's, I've, I've heard $140, $190 billion worth of grants. Uh, so hospitals or research institutions, they're, they're not going to buck what Fauci tells them to do. And that has corrupted, I think, the practice of medicine. Uh, you also have fewer independent doctors. They're all part of hospital associations. You know, hospitals, you know, they probably make a fair amount of money offer remdesivir versus uh, a, a course of ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or budesidine. Uh, you know, there, there's probably a fair amount of profit in remdesivir. Uh, there's, there actually, I, I saw a pretty interesting uh, video of somebody who's kind of researching how much doctors are, are getting from patients that die off of ventilators, and it's in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, you know how those hospital bills can rack up here. Um, so, again, there are financial incentives for treating people the way we're treating. There, there's, there's no financial incentive for early treatment using cheap generic drugs that literally cost you know, pennies per, per dose to produce. And so we've completely 
completely corrupted. You know, the, everything is in the, the favor of Big Pharma. We've tilted the playing field. So, you know, when Fauci demands random control trials, well, who can afford that? I mean, generic drug companies can't afford to run randomized controlled trials on a generic drug that they barely, you know, they, they just make pennies a, a tablet on. But certainly drug companies can when they turn around and sell a molnupiravir uh, for 700 bucks a dose. Which, by the way, molnupiravir, it's one, it's one of, and I hope it works, okay? I hope Paxlovid works. Molnupiravir, though, barely got by the safety advisory or the advisory panel on a vote of 13 to 10. There were serious concerns raised on molnupiravir, but whoop, ran that one through and got that approved right away. It's a big pharma drug, 700 bucks a dose, whereas, you know, the NIH is still kind of studying ivermectin, uh, which, by the way, I'll say on the record, I do not, whatever, whatever NIH comes up with their study, I don't trust, I won't trust the results. On, on ivermectin, unless it's positive, you know, then, then I'll seriously take a look at it. But if, if it comes back negative, I'll, I'll be looking very carefully. I'll have, hopefully a lot of other researchers look very carefully at how that trial was done. Well, and we've seen what Dr. Fauci does to people who try to uh, push back or counter the narratives that he's driving. I mean, we saw uh, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Francis Collins collude against people like the great Barrington signers like Dr. Jay Bhattacharya trying to smear his name because he dared to oppose the failed lockdowns that has caused so much harm in this country. What really infuriates me is now you have like the CDC public health officials, the media or like CNN or whatever, just casually dropping these truth bombs like, oh, yeah, cloth masks don't work. There's a difference between with COVID, from COVID, maybe lockdowns don't work. The vaccines don't stop the spread. All things that you got smeared for saying previously but there's just such a callous nature to it because all of these things all of these policies have caused people so much harm oh yeah again they'll never admit they're wrong so they're just going to change their narrative you know, I, I you know and they maybe didn't say it in exactly these words but you know certainly when the vaccine came out you know 95 percent efficacy I mean, everybody took that to, to mean that well if i get vaccinated i've got a 95 percent chance of not getting the disease well, once they found out, well, that's not happening. You know, the the, the efficacy is waning, and you know now with Omicron, um, you know, there's actually evidence of negative efficacy with the vaccination and, and boosters, that type of thing. Now, now the narrative is switched to, oh, well, it reduces the severity of the disease. Um, okay, when you consider that you know, with younger people, 99% of people survive COVID. Uh, I had COVID. I have the antibodies for it. I was asymptomatic. <laughs> so my own natural immune system reduced the severity of the disease to the point where I didn't even know I had the disease other than I was taking precautionary tests and found out, oh, I got COVID right now. Um, so again, show me the data on that. But my point is they will just switch their narrative. And because the media is complicit in this, the big tech is complicit in it, they'll buy it. They'll make sure that the public buys the 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 change narrative the corrected narrative uh the buyer's hook line and sinker so there's oh we, we never really you know like Fauci you know when I call him out for what he did with AIDS where he did pretty much the same thing he denied the use of Bactrim for two years um and he also denied the fact that he literally scared the you know what out of the American public saying that you might be able to catch this through close casual contact so two months later, you say, well, it's preposterous that anybody would say AIDS could be spread with close personal contact as opposed to, you know, uh, the way we know it's, it's spread. 
he just denied reality. Just two months later, bold face, and, and the, the press doesn't call him on it. And that's what's going to happen here with uh, with COVID. All, as wrong as these people have been in so many issues, they'll never admit it, and they never get called on it. They'll never be held accountable. Is there any way to hold Fauci accountable? Well, with the truth, um, you know, we, we you know, four thousand of his emails were provided under FOIA, uh, heavily redacted. Congress does not is not subject to those same redactions. So we, we immediately, asked, by the way, we were asking for this information and we just couldn't get it. The courts enforced it. So we've asked for those emails now that we know they exist. And they were quite honestly incriminating enough, even with redactions. We, we've asked for those emails unredacted. Um, we're getting them in dribs and drabs. We can go in in camera to review these things, you know, 50 pages at a time. Uh, we're, we're uncovering things. Uh, there's a, a fuller story to tell, uh, you know, before we tell that story, I, I want to have the full story. Uh, but y- yeah, well, we're going to continue to investigate this, but these agencies are so opaque. Uh, they, they realize that Congress doesn't really have enforcement power. So they pretty well blow us off. You know, Congress's oversight capability has been dramatically reduced. And the only, the only thing that forces disclosure nowadays is, is public pressure which is why I'm very transparent in my oversight. We, we make all my letters public, you know, sometimes, you know, people like you and conservative news outlets will, will pick up the questions we're asking, uh, but it really requires a, almost a, a public level of outrage before these agencies come clean. How much control has big pharma and companies like Pfizer have had on our policies that we've made? I, I think my eyes are pretty well have been wide opened wide. I think they exert enormous control. I mean, you've probably seen the video clips, you know, they run about 60 minutes or 60 seconds. You know, this newscast, this newscast, this newscast, you know, this sportscast brought to you by Pfizer. Um, The the revolving door between, you know, the agencies and the big pharma companies. You know, Scott Gottlieb, he's a director at at Pfizer now. He's been very open about, uh, you know, Push, pushing the vaccine, pushing the vaccine. You know, now he's you know pushing the you know a year and a half. And I actually wrote a letter to the editor in response to his column in the Wall Street Journal, you know, basically declaring, "Hey, wouldn't it be a good idea to have a pill that could reduce viral replication, reduce severity of symptoms? Wouldn't that be a great idea?" You know, hey, Pfizer's got one. Um, so, hey, welcome to the party, Doctor Gottlieb. Uh, I've been pushing this, and I think you know I think there's proof that we've had these pills available since the start of the pan- pandemic, but people like you have denied their existence together with the rest of big farmers. As a matter of fact, Merck, I mean, Merck is the one that patented this miracle drug called ivermectin. It is a miracle. It is prevented river blindness, you know, cured parasitic illnesses throughout the less developed world. It's a miracle drug, incredibly sa- incredible safety profile. Merck patented that drug. You know, the people, the people that developed it got a Nobel Prize, but then Merck trashed it for use in COVID. They trashed it. They undermined it. Because guess what? Merck had its own version of a pill, Molnupiravir. And we just talked about that. You know, barely passed the advisory committee 13 to 10, uh, mainly because Molnupiravir actually causes the virus to mutate. Gee, what could go wrong there? No, it's 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 all very sickening. And then when you start connecting the dots, it just, uh, you know, to your point about the media with Pfizer, like it sort of tells you why nobody in the media asks questions about the vaccines. It just raises, you know, it's, it's, it's all pretty disturbing. You know, sir, looking ahead, 
at the midterm elections. There's already been 29 House Democrats that have now retired uh, or announced or have either retired or announced that they are not going to seek office. Uh, That is the most retirements for Democrats in 28 years, more than the 2010 wave and tied for the record set in the 1994 Republican revolution. Uh, You know, Republicans hold a double digit lead in enthusiasm. You know, they're leading in the generic ballot and real clear politics. Point being is the picture looks dire for Democrats. What do you think's ahead in the midterms? Well, first of all, take nothing for granted. Uh, What we are up against, what I'm up against here in Wisconsin, the swing state, uh, I've been attacked relentlessly for the last year. Um, the Democrats, I've just found this out, spent $9 million on attack ads against me before I had even decided to run. And, and Lisa, I think, talking to me, you realize my inclination was not to, okay? It would have actually been fun to say, no, I'm not running. <laughs> you guys just wasted $9 bucks. Uh, they spent $2 million, you know, when I announced. I mean, they immediately announced a million-dollar ad buy, and then a week later, another million-dollar ad buy. Uh, so it's not just the massive amounts of money that Democrats are dedicated to spending. I mean, they'll, I mean, they'll lie, they'll distort, I mean, and they'll never get called on it. But their allies, let's, let's face it, the communication apparatus of the Democrat Party is the legacy media and big tech social media. So we're up against Democrats but the majority in the media, we have significant challenges. They've got, they, are, they are a powerful voice. So we can't take anything for granted. You know, I, in, you know, the way I frame this contest in Wisconsin, literally, it's the truth versus lies and distortion. It's me against Democrats, legacy media, mainstream media, social media, and big tech giants. Now that, you, know, you understand why? I, I, you know, I think the first ad they say he, he's in it for himself. You know, one of the radio talk show hosts here in Wisconsin said, "You know, I think Johnson kind of understands he just threw himself in front of a fast-moving freight train." Yeah, I, I do. I understand what I'm up against. So, if I can um, appeal for help, if, if you want to save this Senate seat, if you want to see me, you know, serve another term. Uh, if, if you want the truth, I'm going to need help. Um, Ron Johnson for Senate.com. Uh, I, I'm going to need a lot of help. Uh, but one thing you can be assured of, I'm not going to be deterred from speaking the truth, from talking about important issues that affect people's lives. Um, that's who I am. I'm, I'm, I'm going to continue this fight for freedom because that's in, in the end, that's what this is about. This is about freedom. We got all kinds of other issues, and you know, there are issues that divide Republicans and conservatives. Don't let those issues divide us. We, anybody who loves liberty, anybody who loves this country, understands how precious it is, understands our solemn duty to preserve it, to make sure it not only survives but thrives for future generations. Anybody who agrees with that must remain united. Don't let slight differences of opinion divide us. We must remain united against their relentless quest for power, their relentless quest for control over our lives, their relentless destruction of our liberty and freedom. Well, and everyone listening, we've got to help Senator Ron Johnson, sir. I have so much respect for you and so thankful you are a relentless fighter for both the truth and liberty and freedom in America. And we are so lucky you are seeking another term. 
I just want to thank you for continuing to bring the truth on COVID. You've been so brave. I know it's hard to take the hits, but I deeply admire your courage and what you're doing, sir. And I'm so thankful for you for taking the time to come on the show, sir. So thank you so much. It's an honor. Well, I appreciate the opportunity and I appreciate any support that people can provide. Uh, Everybody stay healthy. God bless you all. I want to thank Senator Ron Johnson again for such a great interview and for being a fighter for truth and liberty in America. And I want to thank you guys at home for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, leave us a review and rate us five stars in Apple Podcasts. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at at Lisa Marie Booth. I want to thank our team, producer John Cassio, and our executive producers, Debbie Myers and speaker Newt Gingrich, all part of the Gingrich 360 network and team. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring, but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com schedule release to learn more.